Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. There's a quote that I heard a few months ago by E.M. Bounds, and he said, and he, he was like born in the 1850s, so, so he uses uh, Holy Ghost, we say Holy Spirit, one and the same. And then also when he says men, or when I say men tonight, I mean uh, women, children, everybody that has breath in their lungs. You know, we read verses sometimes and we don't realize how scandalous they were when Jesus says them. Or I know in Joel and Acts it says, I'll pour out my spirit on everybody. Everybody, we know the verse, your young men will prophesy and see dreams, your daughters da, 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 and your servants. And we think, wow, we get to see dreams, we get to prophesy. But really the scandalous part of that is it says, he said, I will pour out my spirit on everybody, everybody, women, servants, the lowest of the low people who you discard and walk by, I'll pour out my spirit on everybody. And so that has nothing to do with what I'm saying. But uh, when I say men in this quote, I mean every single one of us. All right, And he said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He doesn't come on machinery but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And I read a few months ago in our Elevate service, Mark 9, 23, and I love how the Message Bible reads that because it says, Jesus said, if there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And as a whole, if you look at, at Christians, I, I would say that not 100% of, of Christian believers live that out. Would you agree with me on, on that? 50%? Do you think 50% we live that out? Anything can happen? No, and I think it's because of this. That. The only way. That lens is established in you because it is a lens, right? It's a lens of faith. Yes, yes. The only way that that lens is established in you, is birthed in you, is formed in you, is behind closed doors. It's not through a study group. It's not through a small group. It's not through listening to a really great podcast. It's going into that place, that inner room, and meeting with Jesus and coming out knowing his heart for you, knowing what he says about you, knowing uh, his, his nature on your life. That's why there are no ifs among believers. That's why anything can happen because you come out of that place knowing who you are, knowing what God says about your family, knowing what God says about the people you work with, knowing what God says about your children. You come out of that place knowing that the promises of God on your life, they can't fail because they're his promises, right? You come out of that place knowing that when you walk into a room, you light it up, not just when you feel like it. Not just when you had a really good week of walking in love towards your family. 
Not just when you've had some great spiritual breakthrough. You light it up every single time because that's who you are. And that kind of lens is only birthed in that inner room, in that place where, where it's just me and God alone. And it's out of relationship that just starts behind closed doors. And I guess this has been so on my heart lately because everything is so public now. Everything is so public. And we live in a world that very much wants to be noticed, right? So I'm going to just read in John. I'm going to start there tonight. And let's go to John 6. And let's start with verse 22. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It'll be up on the screen. I typed it in while talking to Andre, so there's no telling what you're going to (laughs) get. So Jesus had just um, multiplied the food at the beginning of the chapter. And so now we're going to read. Let's start with verse 22. Y'all ready? The next morning, the crowds were still on the opposite shore of the lake, near the place where they had eaten the bread he had multiplied after he had given thanks to God. Yet Jesus was nowhere to be found. They realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus hadn't boarded, and they concluded that his disciples had left him behind. So when the people saw on the shoreline a number of small boats from Tiberias and realized Jesus and his disciples weren't there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum to search for him. When they finally found him, they asked him, Teacher, how did you get here? Jesus replied, Let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. They replied, So what do we do if we want to do God's work? Jesus answered, The work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. Let's stop there because it's a good question, isn't it? What do do we need to do to do God's work, right? Yeah, y'all with me? It's a question we probably have all asked and thousands have asked before us. Yeah, yeah. What What do we need to do to do God's work? But it's wild to me that Jesus said, I'm ready to give you what matters most, and that's why I'm here. And they respond with, what should we do? Jesus said, I'm ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. One of God's greatest gifts he's given us is purpose. But so often we've reduced it to a picture. We've reduced it to a checklist. And so, okay, so I smiled. I smiled at Patty when she came in. Eve, I, and I love Patty. I won't. <laughs> and uh, let's see, I baked Pastor Mark a cake, and my kids are in church, and I'm checking off all the boxes, right? Or John 10, 10 promises me an abundant life, and I've, okay, so I've got to have that. So maybe if I won't really, if I try not to think about all those bad thoughts, maybe if I look at pornography just once a month, once a month, then that's it, I'm okay. Maybe if I get that degree, then I won't have all this insecurity uh, that I have, and maybe then I'll be important. 
maybe if um, maybe if I read my Bible once once a day for an hour a day, I won't have all this shame, and and then I'll be important, and then I'll be noticed. What should we do if we want to do God's work? It's a good question. It's a question we all should ask. And if you've been at Anchor Faith for any amount of time, you'll realize that we talk here all the time about personal responsibility and that you will have to do something. It says in the Bible, be doers of the world word. Believers are doers, but that's not what it's talking about here. Y'all with me? So Jesus says, the work you can do for God just starts with believing in me. He tells them where, to, where it starts. It'll always start in here. Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when that happens, when you meet with him behind closed doors, believing, it will always lead to trusting. Believing is trusting. And it's worth stopping here. Because so many of us, I think, ask this question today. What should we want to do if we, if we want to do God's work? And for us, it's coming from a place of what should I do to be worthy? What should I do to be liked? What can I do to be noticed? Because then I'll be important. Or from a place of wanting something. What should I do to get this from you? Because Patty has it, and I want what she has. So what do I need to do? What boxes do I need to check off to look like that? Ultimately, it's coming from a place of being an orphan instead of a son. So Jesus says to them, the work you can do for God just starts with believing in me. So let's go on. John 6, 30 and 31. They replied, show us a miracle so we can see it and then we'll believe in you. Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert. Just like the scripture says, he fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? What sign will you perform for us? We want God to do something for us. And then so often the heart intent behind it is followed with, then I'll believe. I'll I'll really believe then. If you do this, God, I will trust you. And it's just not how trust works. It's just not how the kingdom works, right? And so often it's our experiences that dictate and demand and control our beliefs, control our lens, what we believe and why we believe it. Yes, yes. I would say our experiences and disappointment are disappointments. And so all of a sudden, a family member that you were praying for to get healed didn't get healed. And then you say, well, healing's not for today. Or something horrible happened to you, and you can find plenty of articles to back up those experiences that other people have had to. Something horrible happened to you, and then all of a sudden you say, well, God just meant for me to live that kind of life. Do you see how that happens? Yes, no, y'all... Yes, yes, no, okay. And so we believe things like that in our heads. And we sing in our worship songs, impossible things in your name, they shall be done. When we do that, it's actually called cognitive dissonance. It's terrible for our brains. Um, But I wonder how many of us live in a place of show us a miracle. What sign can you give me? And then I'll believe. 
This is a picture of people who think that they're mature, but they still have disappointment. I love this quote. I read it somewhere as a side note, but it says, when there is delay in our lives, so often we sacrifice the goodness of God for his sovereignty. And then we try to make sense of it. Worldly wisdom questions if it's even from God. I'll give you an example. Like 10 years ago, Matt and I were, um, we were living in a house on, on a main highway. It was really close to the main highway. And we don't have children that need to be anywhere near a main highway. And so um, we were praying for a house. We were we were just asking God, we, we want a house. And uh, I don't know, that may sound silly. Uh, I, I, it may sound materialistic, but to me, uh, everything is holy. Everything is holy. Everything we do, every place we step is holy. So it's not just a house. It's a base of operations. It's a place where we're going to meet with God. It's a place where our children are going to meet with God, where we're going to have that culture set, that culture of faith. So it's just not a house. It's a place where people are going to walk in and they're going to experience the favor of God just by talking to us, experience the presence of God just by talking to us. So what we're praying for is not, not just a house. And I remember we had this thing that whenever we got bad news, we would say, let's, let's go celebrate. Because we know we're not seeing what God's seeing. And it sounds really pretty and fluffy up here, but it's not. When you have really bad news, and I think we got a quote from the house. We wanted to build a house, and it was like, let's go celebrate. And uh, we weren't seeing the whole picture. And at the time, Matt was... Um, ministering in the prisons, and some of the men there are freer than men in churches. And one of the guys handed him a, a card, a note card, and he put it in his pocket. And it was a prophetic word and a word of knowledge. And it said on there, the first line, it said, Be encouraged. Your request, it's been answered. Your house situation is about to change. And the very next day, nothing happened. And the very next week, nothing happened. And the very next month and year and year after that, nothing happened. Worldly wisdom questions if it's even from God. Oh, I, we didn't need a house. That's such a materialistic thing. We don't need that. Why are we even praying for that? That's what worldly wisdom does, right? Worldly wisdom can never sustain kingdom promises. And so what did we do? We partnered with heaven. We put that note card on our refrigerator. We saw it every single day. I put my snake boots on and I went and cleared the lane or cleared a path that I wanted my driveway to look because we had some land. So I remember doing that with my daddy. We cleared the land. It was full of woods and trees and all that. And the day that we, we moved from that house, I took that car down and I carried it with me. Because there's some things on there that still have not been fulfilled. Things that I'm still uh, partnering with heaven to fulfill. And so often when there's delay in our lives, so often we sacrifice the goodness of God for his sovereignty. And we think, well, how is this going to work? How do we make this work? What sign will you perform for us so that it's still working? What sign will you show, show us that we still heard from you? All right, let's go on. John 6, 32. The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. 
It's my Father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Then please, sir, give us this bread every day, they replied. Jesus said to them, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you will never be thirsty. And this is so on my heart because I think God is taking us all to the place where, and taking our church to the place where, I don't need a breakthrough to believe in you. At the same time, knowing with everything within you that he's the God of breakthrough. I love the quote that says, bold faith stands on the shoulders of quiet trust. It's going into that private time. It's meeting with God, saying what I need most of all from you is a revelation of who you are. And then you come out of that place completely trusting because you know his very nature and heart for you. Because people were constantly getting that messed up. Amazing people who were very close to Jesus, right? Lazarus was dead, and Martha comes out, and he says, and and Jesus says, you know, he will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus says, no, 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 I, I am the resurrection. And John, over and over again, he reveals timeless truth about his nature, about who he is. I am the resurrection. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he says to us, every single one of us, every single day, I am exactly what you need and not just a picture of me. I am love itself, not just a picture. Freedom itself. I am breakthrough. I am a life above circumstance. In other words, he's telling us every second of the day that you can have me fully. You can have me fully. See, we want the things fully, right? The miracle and the sign and the stuff and the dream job and the nice house and the perfect spouse and that comfortable life. We want the things fully. And what Jesus is offering is far greater. It's not even in the same category. And this whole exchange is funny maybe to us. But I'm wondering if we've been in the same place they were in, saying the same thing they were saying. Show me a sign. Give me something to hope in. And he is saying to them, he's saying to us, it's me. Hope in me. You can have me fully. It's me. In John 14, 23, Jesus is talking and he he says this. He says, my father, he'll love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. And in John 14, at the end of verse 21, Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father. And I will passionately love you in return. And I will manifest my life within you. Over and over again, he is saying to us, you can have me. You can have me fully. One of my favorite verses lately has been Colossians 1.15. And that's the verse that says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I love how the message reads. It says this. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything created. And God is raising up sons of God who know they are sons of God. 
not sinners saved by grace, not a church body just trying to make it to heaven, but people who know that they are co-heirs. People who know that just like it says in Romans 8, people who when you look at their lives, you start to see what God was dreaming about in the first place. Because long before you were in your mama's womb, God was dreaming of you. He has dreams of you. Every single one of us, he has dreams of you and for you. And what I've seen people do is settle for some picture version of themselves. And maybe you're like, why, why is that even a problem, Jerry? And I, I'm just doing the best I can. Or you don't, don't judge me. You don't know what I've been through. I don't know. But I do know this. When we settle for some picture version of ourselves, we will only be able to show some picture version of Jesus and so it looks a lot like this. Man, I, are you, you're going through a hard time. Do you know Jesus? He's awesome. He's, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And some of us, through no fault of our own, have just been handed the picture. So we repeat the picture. We multiply the image. We multiply the picture. But tell me if this looks different. I know. I know that you're going through a hard time and I'm standing in agreement with you because this is not the end. This is never the end. This is the beginning. And this is what I hear the Father saying in pride when I've met with him behind closed doors. This is what I hear the Father saying over you in your life. Does it look different? You bet, you bet. We look at the sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. Do people look at your life and see Jesus? Do people look at your life and see the God who cannot be seen? Later on in John 6, Jesus says again in verse 48, I don't have that up there, but he says, I'm the true bread of life. And he goes on to say in verse 49, your ancestors ate manna in the desert and they died. But standing here before you is the true bread that comes out of heaven. And when you eat this bread, you will never die. I alone am this living bread that has come to you from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I will offer as a sacrifice so that all may live. He's always saying, only I can sustain you. I am the sustaining factor of your life. And if you read on, those words make everybody upset. And Jesus, they just turn away and they're offended. And this is the chapter where Jesus says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so he, everybody leaves. And he goes to the disciples and he says, so do you want to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. Peter knew the difference between the fresh bread and the pitcher. Do people know after being with you that you've been with Jesus, that your words are life? There's a shift that happens in John 20, 17. And you don't have to go there. I'll just kind of tell you about it. But it's where... Uh, Mary goes to the tomb and she can't find Jesus and she's frantic and so she goes um, up to somebody she thinks Jesus is the gardener and she says she's frantic and uh, he says Mary 
and she knows it's him, and she says, teacher. And then he says, you can't hang on to me because I haven't ascended to my father, uh, but I'm, I haven't ascended to heaven. But I'm going to my God and my father. And there's a shift that happens there because he, he adds, and now he's your God and your father. And at that moment, that shift happened, and Jesus invited every single one of us to be co-heirs. The same life that's on Jesus is now on us. The same blessing that's on Jesus is now on us. In the Old Testament, they had to wheel and deal for the blessing, right? Jacob had to steal it from Esau. Now the same blessing that's on Jesus is now on us. Being a new creation is not just about personal salvation. It's knowing that the words of God in my mouth are just as powerful as the words of God in Jesus' mouth. And if any part of that makes you, I don't know, I can guarantee that some of your life, it's living the picture. Being a new creation is not just about personal salvation. It is knowing that we were created in the image of a kind, gracious, mighty, loving, extravagant, victorious God. And now we multiply that image wherever we go. And people look at us, and they taste, and they see that the Lord is good. Colossians 1.15, we look at the sun, and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun, and we see God's original purpose in everything created. Do people look at you and see God's original purpose? Do they see what God was dreaming about? Because a part of this is just learning to love the place we're in. Whether it's a wonderful work environment or a toxic work environment, it doesn't matter because we're fruitful. And we multiply, we multiply his image in those places. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay, woo, all right. Uh, um, I think this has been on my heart too. Because it doesn't take any wisdom to say, oh, that's very bad, right? It doesn't take any wisdom to say this is a mess. If we're looking at immigration or education or mental health or politics, anybody can look at something and say, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, that's really bad. But somebody who's been with Jesus in the private space of their life They come out of that place knowing that they're a co-heir, knowing that they're solution, right? Every Christian solves a problem. The revelation and the wisdom for that, to know that it flows from relationship. It flows from sonship behind closed doors. And once you know the solution you bring and the people who need it, you will come out of that inner room knowing the answer, knowing the heart of God for every problem. You'll come out and you'll know and you'll say, I'll stand amid problems and chaos and confusion and I'll have solution. Why? Because he lives in me. He lives in us, which means that we are always, all the time, every minute of the day, solution. But solutions don't come from our qualifications. It comes when it's just me and God alone in my room. I remember a few months ago, I was having a bad week, and I was whining in my head. 
And I remember I was listening to a podcast or something, and kind of, you know how when you're in a bad mood and you're tuning it out. And so he was preaching, but I was still just whining. And um, he said this, whoever was preaching said, do you know the difference between an orphan and a son? And it was still, I was still in that place where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know the difference. You know how you say this in your mind? Like, an orphan doesn't know who their daddy is. A son knows who they are. Like, I just said that real quick. I think I was just getting ready that morning to go into work. And, and all of a sudden, the man that was speaking said, the difference between an orphan and a son is discipline. And it shook me. Let me tell you why. It takes discipline to shut down complaining and speak life over yourself. It takes discipline to go to the Father and ask, what do you think about this before going to someone else? It takes discipline to go to God in that private place and say, what it if somebody wronged you and take it to God and say, what, what, are you, what are you saying about that person instead of getting sympathy from someone else? It's turning off the news and asking, God, what are you dreaming about for America? What are your dreams for this nation? What are you saying about our country? It's stopping giving your opinion at our, about church. And it's going into that private place and saying, God, what are you dreaming for anchor faith? What are your dreams for anchor faith? And that all, it takes discipline. It's renewing your mind again and again and again until the impossible becomes very reasonable. And that takes discipline. It's speaking life and hope into a situation that is hopeless and bleak and a disaster because you know God sees it differently. And that takes discipline. I was in a counseling session a few, a while back, and there was trauma, and it was bad. It doesn't take any wisdom to say it's bad, right? So it was bad. The people weeping, and I was sitting there, and I could not hardly hear what they were saying. <laughs> this is not a good plug for Light Speaks right now. I could not hardly focus on what they were saying, because in my head, God was saying over and over again to me, Jerian, Jerian. I can redeem this. I want to redeem this. I can redeem this. I can redeem this. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, that's crazy. And he's saying, no, 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 no. That's who I am. That's who I am. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so you offer that bread and you say, I know it looks bad, but did you know that God wants to redeem the whole thing? It's crazy, isn't it? But that's who he is. So kick your feet back and let's just pray and, and see the miraculous take place because that is the goodness of God. There have been so many times that I've just closed my door in my room and said, God, I just, what do you say about me? I just, I just feel so lost. What are you saying over me? And I felt like more than anything, that's just what we needed today. In the places where you feel lost, to meet with God and have him speak and reveal himself in the places you feel lost, in the places where there's anxiety, in the, in the places where there's fear, places where there's worry, where there's trauma, where there's tension. Don't go public. The world says, look at me, look at me. 
The world goes to social media and says, I'm having a bad day. Someone wronged me. Look at how I'm taking the high road. Feel sorry for me. Don't go public. Go private. Meet with God, with your God, with your Father, and allow him to speak to you and tell you things that you didn't know. And so you'll go into that place and you'll just say, God, I feel, I feel lost. I feel alone. I, I feel like nobody notices me. And he says to you, all of heaven notices you. You go into that place and you're like, I just need the right person in my life. Look at all my gifts. I need somebody to notice me. I need the right person in my life. And he looks at you and he says, you are the right person. You are the right person. You go into that place and you say, God, this is really, I know this is really small, but it's bothering me and I want to talk to you about it. And he says, even in the small things, I'm big. Even in the small things, God's big. And you allow your God, your Father, to minister to you. And that lens, it shifts. And then you minister back to him. And your relationship, it grows and deepens. I heard this week, I just love this quote, before we can be presence, before we can be purpose-driven, we have to be presence-shaped. Ian Bounds also said, God's men and women are made in secret. The best thing that you can do is to separate yourself. It's not easy, and it may be the last thing that you want to do when you're just feeling yuck. But the best thing that you can do and the most strategic thing that you can do in your life is to close the door and to separate yourself and to say, God, what are you saying about me? If you want vision for your life, if you want to know the dreams God has for you, because he has dreams for you. He's extravagant. He's good. He's always speaking. He's in a good mood. One of my favorite stories in John is when he turns water into wine. It's so over the top. It's so extravagant. It doesn't make sense. There's more than enough. I love, this is probably my favorite, most favorite miracle he's ever done because that's his nature. And you get, you get a download of that when you go in the private places of your life. You get God's nature and his heart and what he's saying. And you come out fully alive. Fully alive wherever you go. So tonight, I, um, I don't need the worship team. We'll just kind of wrap this up. What, I want, what I'd rather do is if this resonates with you, I want to just pray for you. So I want you to stand, and I want you to put your heart on your chest like this again. Or both hands on your chest. And I just want to pray over you and release over you. Right now, God, I thank you for every person here. I want to release, we release, Jesus, release an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Empower us. Empower us. We know you want to meet with us. When we go to meet with you in private, give us so much wisdom. I just pray and declare revelation over every single person here that the world has not yet seen.
hope, solution after solution after solution. God, that you would birth in every single person standing vision beyond their resources, beyond their ability, because that's who you are. That's your nature. Right now, he's releasing relational breakthrough. If there's, there's a tension in relationships, we re- release that breakthrough, God. You're the breakthrough. You're bra- a God of breakthrough. We release that in Jesus' name. I feel like somebody said, too, that uh, you have said this to yourself. A doctor hasn't told you this, but you've said that you're clinically depressed. And you've said that over your life. And God says, no more. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Don't take that on. And so right now, the uh, other day, you can look at me. Uh, the kids, um, we do worship at night, and it's um, fun and crazy. And the kids uh, always want to do prayer requests. And so on, when they do prayer requests, they're usually, they have about 10 different boo-boos that they need prayer because they're country kids, and they've got scrapes and all the things. So the other, the other night, I just had Garrison. I said, well, when, I, when Mommy prays for you, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture yourself holding all your boo-boos like this and handing them to Jesus. And so to end tonight, as crazy as that sounds, this is what I feel like we need to do, and you don't have to really do it, but I did open my eyes, and Garrison was like, like that when we were praying, which is so precious. So... Um, I want you to picture that, whatever it is, if it's physical pain, if it's emotional pain. Right now, I want you to imagine just holding that in your hand and just giving that to him. We were never meant to carry anxiety, depression, burden, worry. So right now, God, we just release that. We give that to you. We give that to you. And we just say to our very being, to our very core, come alive. It's time. It is time to come alive. And others will see our lives, and they will taste and see that the Lord is good. And we're going to give fresh bread wherever we go because we're a picture. We are a picture of Jesus. Thank you, God, for every person here and the lives that are going to be changed from their lives, from them walking in the calling that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.